to Actions Antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. I'm Stephen J, aka Action, and in this podcast, I plan to share with you a series of stories uh, about people who have taken on initiatives that are inspiring, they're inspiring to me, and hoping that they're inspiring to you as well. I bring in different guests, different types of people from different backgrounds that have all like taken on some kind of initiative to improve their lives and the, the lives of the community around them. And I plan to share with you a series of stories that could range from something along the lines of starting a business to something more like overcoming fear or starting community groups or even just getting into shape. My reason for starting this podcast is kind of observing a lot of people out there struggling with different areas of their lives and trying different things and just wanting something new and wanting something different and just needing the courage to go out and do it. What I've discovered is that I've observed a lot of people with different challenges, different desires. We all want different things. But the one commonality to all of it is getting into the right mindset, believing that you're deserving of what you want, believing that you're capable of getting what you want, and believing that you're going to go out and do it. That kind of like, I can, I should, and I will type of thing. And so with that being said, I'm hoping these, these stories inspire you to take on whatever you want to take on to make your life as good as possibly can. Tonight, I have for you my first guest, Chris Wynn, who put together a Twitter account that has somewhat of a similar motivation called Minute Wisdom. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me on as, as your inaugural guest. And uh, you know, I appreciate everything that you've done so far in, in creating this podcast, seeing it through to fruition and coming together with a guest list. And I'm glad to be a part of it. So thank you. Yeah, definitely. And so I'm inspired by, by Minute Wisdom. Tell me, like, what inspired you to start this Twitter account? Sure. Yeah. So like, you're, like you said, the Minute Wisdom is the Twitter handle. And the biography of the handle is wisdom you can apply in your daily lives in a minute or less. It kind of comes from modern day philosophy that we have attention spans as long as microwave popcorn. You know? <laughs> so, uh, I thought it was funny in the sense that we're, we're all looking to improve professionally, personally, or improve any other avenue of life, but we want to do so mm -hmm. in really quick bite-sized pieces. And so during March time, when the world had kind of gone down to hell and people were trying to figure out ways to cope with this new normal and cope with the reality of being locked down and working from home, I thought, what better way to take advantage of all this extra time that I had working from home and also the desire to have a creative outlet in the mm -hmm. form of writing, I thought Twitter would be a, a great place to start. And with having experience with a person's Twitter account, knowing how that, that social media platform works, I thought, you know, why not create an anonymous Twitter handle called a Minute Wisdom, share some of my, my thoughts that I've been having, you know, the last three months of this lockdown and, and the beginning of the pandemic and just allow people to learn from my perspective on philosophy, personal development, just add to the conversation. So that was the genesis of, of me starting that account. Nice. And so who is your target audience with the Minute Wisdom? I would say that my target audience would be people who are searching for bite-sized pieces of advice that they can apply immediately. <laughs> Yeah, nothing, nothing where they have to think about or dwell on for days at a time and reflect on like Thoreau did and you'd have to go out to a cabin in the woods to, <laughs> to meditate and reflect on, but just, just things that are easily applicable to your daily life that regardless of what profession you do for a living. So that's the goal. So for my listeners that start following Minute Wisdom, 
what can you expect from this experience? What does a typical post look like? And what, what is it typically the message kind of being brought to the audience? It has evolved since I started this account back in May when I had finally published and started writing. The message has evolved, but right now it's, you can expect you know, one to two sentences of either a reflective thought that I've had during the day or during the past couple of days that I wanted to share or a quote from someone that I've respected or a quote that, you know, many people have quoted before, but I add in one, my one or two cents of what I think this person was meaning when they said this quote originally. Oh, nice. And what kind of quotes are they? Are they recent, people from a long time ago, distant past? It's a mixed bag. I've come to now incorporate more modern philosophers, modern thinkers. And I guess it doesn't even need to be in the sense of a philosopher. I've recorded innovators, inventors, investors, people that have shared personal thoughts of theirs that I think are meaningful. And so not, not only do I just post those quotes, I try to pepper in my own two cents to spark a conversation, which is the ultimate yeah. goal. I don't want to just have people read something and then think, oh, that was nice to read. I want them to get the reaction that, hey, this is something that is easy that I can apply right now, or hey, these are my two cents, or I have a question about this I want to add to the conversation. So Nice. And, and what kind of conversations are, are had on your Twitter channel? Productive ones, at least so far, from my experience. I got inspired by one of the Twitter accounts that I followed on my personal account, uh, Life, Math, Money, and uh, his account is based around the idea that you can improve 1% better every single day. He posts things that aren't I don't always agree with, but in a general sense of personal development, I enjoy following his content. And what I've enjoyed was how he's always allowed meaningful discussions on his posts. He'll invite people to argue the counter-argument to one of his controversial tweets. And so that's what I've been inspired to produce for my own audiences is a platform where people can connect with like-minded people and add on to the conversation or challenge someone else or mm-hmm. challenge my own my own perceptions or opinions and and it will allow me to learn. So that's, I try to foster meaningful discussion. So that's interesting. The idea of 1% better every day. So does that mean that if someone wakes up, say at 9.30 and they're just too hungover to do anything, that they've missed out on the opportunity to get 1% better on that particular day? I think personal development isn't black and white in the sense that, or it's not strict in the sense that if you wasted a day because you spent the morning being hungover, I don't think that means you're a bad person or you wasted a day to improve. I think you learned something in that day of being hungover that, wow, this really sucks. Like <laughs> being hungover has cost me, you know, 24 hours of productivity. There was a cost mm. to this action that I chose. Was it worth it? Maybe, you know, sometimes it, it is worth it. Maybe you learned something during that night of partying that you wouldn't have otherwise <laughs> have learned if you didn't go. So no, I don't think it's black and white. I don't think personal development, self-development of any kind can really be that strict. I think you'd be foolish to think that personal development is a prescription where if you follow mm-hmm. these rules or like baking, where if you know you put two ounces of this, an ounce of that, you know, two tablespoons of this, you're gonna get the perfect cake. No, that's yeah. mm-hmm. the journey. And that's why the concept of 1% better every single day appeals to me and I believe my audience because it gives people the grace to be able to figure out what their own journey is in growing because everybody has a different definition of progress. Yeah, it's definitely. And that's 
something I've observed a lot kind of following some of these different channels on different platforms with advice. I've noticed a lot of people give standard advice such as, oh, if you want to be successful, wake up at 4.30 every morning. Or one thing I've just kind of realized is observing the people around me, you know, the, the people who I want to inspire through this podcast is that different, there's no one formula, like you said, different things work for different people. When you have these discussions or people people who are discussing kind of on your on your threads on Twitter, when these threads like are people kind of sharing different types of wisdoms like, oh, this worked for me, this didn't work for me, this might work for this type of person or something like that? Yeah, exactly. Very similar. I try to foster that type of discussion, obviously, with Twitter being a free democratized platform, anyone can come on to your tweet thread and pepper in their two cents. And sometimes it's not productive. And that's when you, the <laughs> the author of that account, has to determine who you want to let into your circle and, and what types of conversations you want to allow to people to take part of. But yeah, that's that's the idea is people share their perspectives and their experiences. And and sometimes I'll just ask people, you know, what their favorite book they've read recently is, or I'll retweet a thread that some bigger account has started asking people mm. what their favorite personal development book is. That way I get my audience to contribute to that person's conversation. Oh, nice. Well. So I can add value through that way. I feel like a lot of the times people feel like they have to come up with some original idea for it to be adopted and for them to be viewed as a what's the term for it as an influencer, right? It gets mm -hmm. thrown around so much. I don't think that that should be the goal. I think your goal as someone who wants to add value to the world is, well, hey, if I can add value just simply by spreading this conversation to my audience and they can share their two cents and, and that grows, I did my job. I don't have to be the one writing, you know, yeah. compelling novel tweets every two hours. I think that's a really good point because I think there's a trap we all fall into where we honestly think that in order to be really influential, in order to really be successful, we have to always have the most original idea. And right. earlier today, I was listening to Spotify and the song called Sweet Sensation by Flo Rida came on, which is pretty much took a lot of an old Marky Mark song. And that's when, whenever I hear something like that, I'm always realized about how much people just kind of build on ideas and get influenced by ideas from some other people. And so I think a lot of people do fall into this trap where they're like, oh, my idea isn't 100% original enough, and therefore, I'm not going to pursue that. And what would you say to people kind of feeling like that or even being told? Because there's a lot of influences in all of our lives where people are telling you, wait, your idea is not original enough. This market's too saturated. This is not, not going to work. It's already been done type of, type of statement. Yeah, you brought up a great point. And obviously, this expands not just to a tweet but expensive businesses in general. And, mm -hmm. and you're right, people get into that trap where they tell themselves in their head, I'm not original enough. Why would anyone buy into my idea or my product? Or why would anyone be influenced by this when they could be influenced by someone else? Well, I, I tell those people, Will Smith or any influential person that you admire, they're not going to capture the entire world yeah. you know, with their views. I think there is a certain type of person that Tony Robbins can inspire that someone else can't. Right. Mm -hmm. Maybe Tony Hawk inspires that person. I don't know. I brought up Tony Hawk because <laughs> yeah. he was on this uh, leadership conference that I was uh, to join this morning. But anyways, like yeah. that's the point, right? Is, is that I think there's space and there's room for everybody to contribute to. I think that if you think your idea is not worth pursuing, but you're so passionate about it because you think that you can add some type of niche that builds onto that conversation or builds onto that platform, you should totally pursue it. I think that's the best chances is, is when the market is saturated, but you feel like you can contribute 
something new that others haven't yet. So, so maybe like, I think that's the route. Yeah. So like even a, a great example of a place where people commonly say the market is saturated is say gyms. It's like mm-hmm. there's so many different gyms. There's your standard regular gym. There's Soul Cycle. There's everything like that. What could something new bring in? But even if someone's coming into a market where there's already a lot of players, maybe you're reaching someone that wasn't previously reached, right? Kind of like I think of the story of uh, CrossFit. And I don't remember the, the name of the inventor, but the guy who invented CrossFit essentially said, what if I just turned fitness into one gigantic competition where you're constantly being ranked and quite successful, whether, whether you think that that's the route you want to go with your own personal fitness challenges, it is a quite successful gym and has reached a lot of people. Yeah, think about along that note, right? CrossFit's a great example. Think about Peloton too. Yeah. Before COVID happened, people thought Peloton was just a stationary bike where people would end up hanging their clothes on. <laughs> just be a very expensive clothes rack, a three thousand dollar clothes rack yeah. actually. But look at where it is now. It's a what forty five billion dollar company. Yeah. And has performed extremely well during the pandemic. You know, I'd say we're still we're past the peak of the lockdowns. And it's still doing well. Sales are still, yeah. you know, exponentially growing and they've grown into different markets, not just domestically, but internationally now as well. But if you look back mm-hmm. at it, like, wow, how could Peloton ever compete with indoor gyms? Right? Like, why mm-hmm. would anyone ever want to ride a stationary bike in the comfort of their own home? But the inventor of it, who is still running the company, he thought that I am going to capture an audience, a market, a customer that gyms have neglected, which is yeah. the young mm-hmm. millennials that are working 12, 15, 16, 18 hours a day who don't have the time or the motivation to leave their home to dress up, to go to a gym, to commute there and go back home. Whereas, you know, once they go go back home from their, you know, their consulting jobs or their banking jobs or they're tired, they can go sit on this Peloton and, you know, ride it for 30 minutes to an hour in their home and they can hop into bed, right? That was yep. the customer that he was designing this for, and it ended up spreading like a wildfire now. Look, well, here we are. Yeah, definitely. Wonderful story. So back to your Twitter account, what I'm wondering is a lot of people have this impression of Twitter. I think a lot of people got a bad impression of Twitter from some of the stuff around the election this year or some of the other kind of, it's kind of become the poster child for where people go to have just nasty conversations where people just yell at each other just for having different opinions. How have you managed to keep your discussion very productive and very positive? How have you managed to go about keeping, keeping it from derailing in that kind of direction? I think it's a combination of two things. First is curating my own content to make sure that I'm only getting content that I believe in and that I think is productive to my own perspective. Not meaning that I'm surrounding myself on Twitter with just an echo chamber of people that think and spew out the same things I do. It's just that the people that I follow promote healthy discussions, whether their argument or perspective is argumentative to mine or not. So that starts there is curating my content because I follow those people. I would hope that their audience is also in agreement with that philosophy as well is that you can hold two conflicting thoughts and I don't have to yell at you and say you're wrong. So I try to make sure I follow people whose audiences would probably behave like that because there's a good chance they'd follow me as well, just, Mm -hmm. you know, as uh, being part of that community. Second is I think as as an author of a community group or an author of an account on Instagram, Facebook, any type of content creation, you have the right to choose who you want to let into your circle. And I think it's perfectly acceptable to block people, to mute people, to do whatever you think is best for your audience, to make sure that it promotes and is in alignment with your message. Because you're a brand, right? Especially if you're in an anonymous account, 
the only thing you have going for you is your brand and your brand is a culmination of the conversations, perceptions, opinions that you've allowed mm-hmm. under this handle. So you have the right to block someone if at any point they say anything that is not conducive to the conversation or is really just blaming someone or trolling someone or just, just outright disrespecting someone without any type of adding help to the conversation and adding value. So, and, and I'm guessing that's a good message for anyone out there who wants to create some sort of a community, whether it be an in-person community or whether it be an online community, but might feel a little bit squirmish, a little bit worried about, say, closing the doors to anyone, whether it be blocking someone, disinviting someone to an event or something like that. That person is impacting your brand, right? So the person comes on, sends something nasty or say it's an in-person event that you're holding and you got the person that's always going to throw shade on someone and not really contributing something positive that in the end, that person is bringing your brand down with you. Yeah. And I think a soft way or, or maybe a more productive way of, of doing that is setting boundaries right from the get-go. Uh, especially if you're doing an in-person event, I think if you're running a company, let's say, and you're trying to hire someone to either be an engineer or really any role, you would be hurting them, the candidate, if you didn't tell them up front what your company's values or what your mission statement is. Because if they're not in alignment with it, it doesn't really matter how good of an employee or how good their skills are. They're going to be a huge conflict in your company's vision. And I think that applies to everything else is you have to set the boundaries for what you want to accept into your circle. So if the person isn't adding value or moving your brand in the direction that you want it to, you get to say, get off the train or, or don't yeah. step on the train mm-hmm. at any point in time. And they can do the same thing. Right? I think I think as a consumer of content, you have the ability to choose who you want to follow. No one's telling you who to follow. Right? That's why I love Twitter so much is, you know, when you first create a blank account, you have zero people that you, you're following. You have zero people that are following you. So that's a blank canvas for you to paint over, essentially. Yeah. And so if you don't like what someone's posting, you have every right to unfollow them. It's like kind of like the whole idea of like taking control over your life and taking control over the content that you're consuming. And that's another huge thing for mindset is what content are you consuming on a day-to-day basis? Are you watching the people that are constantly just complaining about things? Or are you, I mean, hearing things like on the minute wisdom where it's telling you like, oh, here's something you can do right here, right now to improve yourself. Have you had to block a lot of people on your account? Off the top of my head, maybe a handful. I don't think any more than a dozen. Um, fortunately, my audience is polite and I guess they're busy in their own lives, too busy in their own lives to have time to spew out things that are hateful or, or not productive. So I haven't had the opportunity yet. And I think my audience isn't quite large enough to where I'll have that issue quite yet. You know, maybe once I get to five or 10, 20,000 followers, I'll have more of that issue frequently just due to large numbers. But so far, uh, I have not had that issue yet. Well, that, that's good. By the way, tell us a little bit about your, your journey to getting your followers and where your following is at now and, and how that all, that whole process of getting that community put together went. Yeah. So long story short, I guess, I'm now at around 14, almost 1500 followers now. And it was a interesting journey to say the least, because when you first create an account, right, you're at zero followers, mm-hmm. zero people that you're following. So how do you go from zero to one, right? That first follower is always the strangest one to me because I'm wondering why would anyone choose to follow an account that mm-hmm. has zero followers? But that's how it all starts. I don't know. I don't know if Twitter's planting people to follow new accounts because I believe in the concept of social proof. 
in the sense that if you see someone else that has a following, you're more likely to follow that account. I don't really remember how I gained my first follower, but after that first follower, I just kept on being consistent with what I was doing. I think from the get-go, when you're at zero followers, you don't really have a voice in your head that's telling you like, oh, this is this is what you should be posting or this isn't what you should be posting because you have no concept of what's good or what's yeah. bad or what's mm-hmm. going to attract people. So you just, you just write what you, you think is good. And if you keep doing that over time, I think that's the best and most genuine way of getting the followers that you want. I think it's possible to earn followers that, I think it's possible to earn lots of followers, but I think out of those followers, you're going to get a lot of people that aren't really in alignment with your values, like I said earlier. So Mm -hmm. quality over quantity has been kind of my mantra is I'd rather have a hundred followers that are wanting to use my content and apply it to their daily lives rather than 500 passive followers, because Mm -hmm. that's not how ideas get spread. Ideas don't get spread by people that are passively following or passively doing things. It's people that are reading, but applying what they learn or going to conferences and listening and then applying it, right? You don't want an audience of 30,000 listeners. You want an audience of maybe a hundred people, but at least out of the hundred, half of that room is willing to do something or early seed your advice. That's interesting. That's a whole different way of looking at social media because I think a lot of people measure any kind of social media based on how many followers they have, how many subscribers, whichever, just by pure quantity, by pure number. But as you said, not every follower is equal, right? There's obviously the disruptors that you seem to like really minimize as you know, only six or 12, although there's a lot of accounts that have plenty of those. And then there's like this middle ground of passive followers that just kind of like they're there and maybe they just scroll through and don't even do anything, don't comment, don't like, they just see it and, and move on. Whereas you're looking for, it looks like what you're looking for is a bit less of wanting to start a following and more of like wanting to put together a community of people that are committed to a cause. Yeah. And maybe even in a broader sense, and I think it's totally self-serving, but I think it's me being honest with my own thoughts and translating that into words and then translating that into what a hundred characters or less, right? Which is what the Twitter yeah. limit character limit is. So I think it's more broad than that. By but by being consistent with what I wanted to write and writing mm-hmm. content that I thought was valuable, the followers just happen naturally. Getting gaining mm-hmm. a follower is just a byproduct of consistent writing or consistent contribution to other people's writings. Yeah. And which I think is which I want to highlight that part because again, like I said earlier, you don't always have to tweet every single hour or post every single hour on Instagram or Facebook to gain acceptance or gain acknowledgement that your account exists. Mm-hmm. I think you can simply do so just by adding on and commenting on other people's threads or retweeting, right? The retweet button is the most powerful button, I think, on Twitter because you're spreading an idea with the hopes that it could go viral. I think the best ratio when you're looking to start a Twitter account or an Instagram account is retweeting other people's content especially when you don't have any social proof yet, especially we don't have a huge following yet. People aren't really going to heed advice from a 30 follower account, but they will if if you start retweeting content from a million follower Mm. account because they're like, okay, well, I like Tony Robbins and this guy's retweeting Tony Robbins. I want more condensed Tony Robbins thoughts. So maybe I'll follow this guy. Hmm. That's kind of how it starts, right? That's how you kind of build a following that way. You don't, you never want to recreate the wheel. You you don't want to be that guy. You're always trying to improve existing dialogue and then just by, what is it, forgetting the scientific word, not mitosis. Uh, you know what word I'm trying to say. Yeah. 
<laughs> the, the the idea that if you're just around something enough, the environment absorbs you. And that's what I'm trying to say. Oh, osmosis, that's it. Osmosis, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. It rhymes. Yeah. Osmosis, right? <laughs> if you create your following correctly, just through osmosis, those followers will end up following you. I can't explain the science or the exact mechanics of how it happens. It just yeah. does. But at the, at the heart of it, be authentic in what you're writing. Be consistent. The right people will follow you. Yeah, it's interesting because it's like such a different way of approaching it because I think a lot of people do approach social media. And when you're trying to get as many followers as possible, I feel like you end up in this trap of trying to produce content just to get followers, right? But I read something about like, do what you want to do and the people will join you. And that's the way you find the people that are really for you as opposed to the people that are just like kind of chomping on to whatever the the latest thing is. Yeah, I want to speak on that too, because I think right now, coming out of COVID lockdowns, it's sparked this revolution where people are now considering that their main source of income might not always be there for them or is, wow, like one source of income might not cut it in 2021 and 2022 and going forward. Because this year has really brought to light weaknesses in people's either community or their own personal finances. Right? I think mm-hmm. 2020 was a very revealing year in good, in good ways too. That wasn't yeah. it was just a wash year. It was, it was very revealing in good ways. Like you were saying, I think that if you're truly curious about something and that curiosity is being filled by passion, you're going to win mm-hmm. nine times out of 10. Even if everyone else thinks it's a crowded market, right? Yep. Or people mm-hmm. are telling you you can't do it. You don't have the skills to. I don't think those are prerequisites for success. You and I both read a ton. I've never read an account of someone who had it all, who had the ingredients, who came from a supportive family, had the money to start their business, had the ideas, had the skill set, had the career before, had the prior experience, and then they launched into this business and everything went perfect. No, like every single account I've read of people's entrepreneurial story was, you know, like I was a lawyer for 20 years, dropped out, became a chef, and now, you know, I run a Mm -hmm. Michelin star restaurant. Like, what the heck? Yeah. But intellectual curiosity and passion, right? And then, you know, you look at Tony Robbins' story, right? Being homeless on the street to running a multi-billion dollar motivational speaking and personal development yeah. company, a brand, right? Yep. Yeah. He had no prior experience doing that. He, he was homeless on the streets. Like, you know, why would you listen to a homeless <laughs> person? But he had the curiosity to be better about self-improvement and the passion for it. So I think that's, that's yeah. the ingredients. That is interesting. That's something I tell people all the time. Like almost every top-selling author has stories of being rejected by 10 to hundreds, even thousands of publishers or literary agents or whatever. Almost every successful business owner, people that started businesses, talked about whatever they did first that failed in some sort of way. Earlier today, I think I used the analogy of learning to ski. And I think that's because I went skiing yesterday. The first time you, you ski, you fall. You acknowledge you fell. You acknowledge your failure. You get back up and then you do some form of recalibration you know, some sort of adjustment. Yeah. As long as you keep doing those three things, you're going to eventually get there. Yeah, exactly. Skiing, like babies walking, right? Yep. Have you ever seen a baby walk, fall down, and then it just decides, I don't want to walk. I don't want to do this walking <laughs> thing anymore. No, right? Babies just, <laughs> I'm fascinated by children, toddlers, babies, because they, they just have this wiring in their head or a voice in their head that just says, keep going. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you have to do this. There's no back door. Like when kids are learning how to walk or learning how to use utensils to eat, like there's no, there's no inner machination in their head or, or, or device that's saying, stop it. It's not worth the effort. Yeah. It's, there's no <laughs> other way. I have to do this and see it through fruition, through iteration. Right. Yeah. Which is why I think if 
adults just adopted that childlike curiosity and persistence and not giving a damn about what the world thinks of them, man, adults would be so much more successful, right? You've never seen a toddler care about, you know, all the butternut squash on their face when they're eating, right? It's like, how can I get yeah. this piece of food that's on the table from point A to point B, which is my mouth? I don't really care about what other adults think or, you know, they just, they just do it. They just do whatever they want. I love uh, how everyone has like a picture of themselves as a toddler, like someone's parents be like, oh, here's a picture of you in like 1992 with spaghetti sauce just covering right. your face. And their yeah. facial expressions are always like this like IDF type of facial expression. Like he, I had to like move this onion from the spaghetti sauce out of my eyelid just to like peek at you. But exactly. everything's like goofy and they don't fear that, feel like ostracized or like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. It's just funny. The same way they go up and dance like that. Like every toddler is going to get up and dance and not really care if their dancing is not all that yeah, good. <laughs> you know, I think it's because they live in the moment, which I can't remember who said this, but kids live in the moment. They have no concept of yesterday or tomorrow. Their concept is today. I think that especially is true for toddlers. They have zero. I don't think they even have the mental capacity to think about how is my next year going to be? Like, will I get a better birthday present than I did this year from Uncle Steve, right? Like, that's <laughs> yeah. not what's going on in a three-year-old's head. It's, wow, like, food is really good today. Oh, I really like playtime today. I really like playing with Lucy. Can I keep yeah. playing with Lucy? No, I'm going to cry because I'm upset. Right? It's all today. What's <laughs> happening with me right now? Yeah, I think that's amazing. Yeah, it would be really hilarious to see like a skit with like a four-year-old putting together their like Q1 plan. <laughs> right. Yeah. I want to learn the rest of the alphabet and then I want to <laughs> watch whatever the current kid show is. Uh, Barney. Uh, no, yeah. Barney, yeah, something. something like that. Like I will watch every episode of Daniel Tiger. Yeah, mom, this isn't fitting into my <laughs> schedule. We can't do this. Can we push this meeting back? And it's kind of weird because obviously there are some constraints in the adult world that prevent us from completely doing that. But did that factor into when you were putting together this Twitter account? Yeah, I, I think it did. But I think that that childlike curiosity kind of took off after I graduated college. So it was even before COVID happened. When I when I graduated college, you know, with a finance and accounting degree, I, I thought I had my life set and I thought I was going to follow this path of being a big four consultant and being a partner and retiring on the beaches somewhere, right? But then after the first busy season I worked, I realized that this is not what I want to do, not even for the rest of my life, but for the next five, 10 years. So it was after that first busy season of working in the adult professional world where I realized like, wow, I don't like this idea of letting my destiny being controlled by factors outside of my own purview. So mm -hmm. it was after that moment where I realized that, you know, maybe I need to adopt that childlike curiosity again and live right now, appreciate the moment that I'm in right now, but also be curious and apply that curiosity to my future life. And what do I want to do? What do I want to pursue that I'm actually really passionate about that I'm willing to devote time to learning about? And that's when, you know, fast forward, I guess a year and a half later, I, I left public accounting because it was a drain on the time aspect of allowing me to be curious and, and be passionate. And now I'm in a better place now where, you know, I decided to start that Twitter account. You know, I want to write a book. The Twitter account's supposed to help me with that. And then and I started trading, you know, and, and you know all about all, all these other products that I've been working on. I think, yeah, the account was kind of the result of that year and a half spent in developing that curiosity. That's awesome. And I think that's another important part of everyone's journey is that that moment, and it's not always an exact moment, I mean moment kind of loosely, mm -hmm. that moment of realization that 
and I often re- refer to it as the script, that the script is not really what you want and that you want to do something else and that you have your own kind of thoughts and desires. So anyway, before we wrap up, any other comments you have about your journey as a, as a whole? Yeah, I guess one thing that I want to leave for your listeners, which I know you and I have talked about many times when we had our coffee chats, is the idea that the only failure in life is not pursuing what you want and quitting. I think everybody can truly achieve a better life if they just kind of mute the voice that's in their own head and then mute people's voices that aren't mm-hmm. in support of that goal. I think what, what you dream about and you think about and you daydream about on a constant basis, you have to give, you have to shed light to because I think that's what is speaking to that childlike curiosity. The childlike curiosity is saying, get me out. I want to do this. You're not letting me do this. Whereas the adult voice is saying, oh, it's too risky. It's too dangerous. Oh, you know, other people are telling us it's too dangerous. They probably are smarter than us. Therefore, we shouldn't do it. We're not smarter. The kid's just like, let me out. Let me do this. I know what I'm doing. Right. We give more credence to, to this adult voice. It's thinking, you know, about the, the least risky choice. And so I, I just hope people can mute that adult voice a little bit and then turn up the volume on that childlike voice and listen to that for a second and see where it takes them. Nice. And I love that. You know, turn up the volume on your childlike curiosity and mute that voice in your head, the inner cynic, as well as like your outer cynic, the cynics that are around. And hopefully that message uh, gets to you all. And once again, that account is The Minute Wisdom. And you can find it on Twitter. And uh, thank you very much for listening. And Chris, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.